going to move on to our sermon now, and I'm going to speak to you in a moment. But before we do, we are a little recap. We are going through the book of Philippians, which is a brilliant, short book in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul, who was writing to the church in Philippi from prison. And uh, we are going to tackle chapter two today. And I've asked my friends, Phil and Joy, come on up. They're going to read the whole chapter. We don't often kind of read whole chapters in scripture because we kind of normally kind of hone into sort of smaller bits. But we're going to go for the whole chapter today. So you might want to shut your eyes and listen. You might want to follow it on the screen. You might want to follow it on your phone. If you have a Bible app or a Bible, you might actually have a real Bible. Hands up if you've got a real Bible. Ta-da! Yeah, if you've got some real Bibles in the house, amazing. Um, not that the Bible's not real on your phone, but you know what I mean. Um, so, Joy and Phil, I'm going to just get a thing, a thing for you. Are you sure? Okay. So, um, listen up. Okay, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. 
I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of all my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you will be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Thank you so much. So good to um, just really hear a whole chunk of scripture being read. I, I just find that such a helpful thing to do. Bear with me one second. If we haven't met before, in the bush. <laughs> my name's Rachel, and I'm part of the team here. And um, yeah, it's my pleasure to try and bring some insight to this passage to help us as Christians as we follow Jesus. And if you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then we're so glad you're here, that you're with us, and that you're, yeah, you've taken time to come to this building, and you're so welcome to be here. You're so welcome to kind of watch and observe and question and wonder because we believe that Jesus is worth following and we're so glad when people are searching for him. So yeah, you're so welcome. Now a few years ago, me and my family went on holiday to the French Alps. It was a big anniversary for us and uh, Martin and Jacob drove there um, in the car loaded with bikes and belongings and me and my other two sons got the long straw, short straw, no long straw, we flew. And uh, they met us at Geneva Airport. That was the plan. The plan worked. They met us. They picked us up. They, we synchronized really well. And um, we proceeded to jump in the car, drive out of Geneva, and try and find our Airbnb where we were staying. Unfortunately, the, um, it was evening. And uh, darkness came as we left Geneva. But we were okay, because we had a sat-nav. It was going to get us there. We, we put our faith in the sat-nav and um, kind of drove in on big roads, slightly smaller roads, very smaller roads. And we could tell, even though it was pitch black and we didn't know where we were going, we could tell that we were getting near the mountains because we were sort of going up and up and the roads were smaller and more wiggly. We found our house and uh, dumped everything in, had something to eat, and then just all fell into bed completely exhausted because it had been a long day. The next morning, we woke up, and uh, as you do on the first day of the holiday, super excited, don't really know where we are, so we pulled back the curtains and saw this incredible view, which is a little bit like the slide is going to come up. Ta-da! Wow. 
absolutely beautiful, beautiful view. That isn't the actual view, just for honesty and integrity purposes. That wasn't the view. My photos were not as good as that. But it was like that. We were completely and utterly surrounded by mountains. And it was so beautiful and awe-inspiring and stunning. And even for someone like me, it left me a little bit speechless, which is, doesn't happen very often. But, you know, you can't help but be impressed when you see a view like that. And it kind of puts your life into perspective. They've been around thousands of years. I've been, I'm, I'm like a fleeting will-o'-the-wisp that is here today, gone tomorrow. They are solid and aren't going to go anywhere anytime soon. My life is not so solid, and, you know, no one knows how long we've got on this earth. And it sort of helps me in those moments, and you probably can identify with moments like this in your life, <clears throat> where you have a bit of perspective. You kind of have a bit of clarity about your life and about where you're going and why you're going there. And uh, those moments are really helpful. And I think when we listen to this passage of Scripture... That was just read to us by Phil and Joy. Thank you so much. And you read the, the poem in it, which Paul writes as this incredible description of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and why he did it. It's like a poetic mountain that Paul is wanting us to grasp hold of and allow to kind of sink into our hearts and minds, our souls, and give us perspective about what our lives should be really like and how we should be living them. And so the analogy of the mountain, I want you to kind of think about that as I go through this sermon, because I think it really can give us perspective. And the mountain, for our purposes this morning, is Jesus. Paul really wants us to get hold of who Jesus is. He really wants the knowledge of what he's done and the impact of what he's brought into our lives to not just be information and something that we know about or something that the church knows about. He's writing to the church in Philippi, but that it actually brings transformation to their lives and it actually gives them a clearer perspective of how they should live. Now, how big, you don't have to answer out loud, no awkwardness. How big is your vision of Jesus today? If you could have it on a scale of one to, I don't know, 100, where would, where would your sort of sliding scale would be? How big is your vision of Jesus? Not only what he has done, but what he can do. Where would you say you are today? Are you trying to really follow him and understand him and put his teachings into practice? Are you really enjoying him? We had that little moment in worship, which was like a sort of a gap where we didn't sing and we just allowed that sort of focusing on Jesus to happen. Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you enjoy being with him, being in his presence? Or does Jesus feel a little bit like a thing to do, <laughs> a list to kind of tick off, get to church, read my Bible? Oh, I haven't prayed this week. Oh, better do that. I know, if we're honest, we probably all oscillate a little bit along that. You know, probably none of us are always in there, yes, I'm fully enjoying Jesus all the time in my life. You know, I held my hand up. I am not that person. But I want to be the person that is more and more enjoying who Jesus is. 
and not just being the, the person that serves him, but the person that is enjoying my relationship with Jesus and enjoying who he is and what he's done. And I don't know where you fare on that scale this morning, but I guess my hope is that we would have a fresh revelation of who Jesus is this morning. Not just because of my words, because my words are here today, they're gone tomorrow. But because of what the Holy Spirit reveals to you as we go through this passage. Because Paul is saying, be inspired by Jesus. Be in awe of Jesus. Be in awe of his sacrificial love, his death on the cross, the way he laid his own life down and lifted up others. Allow that perspective of Jesus to not only be something that's information that you hold in your head, but affects your heart and affects how you live and, and the decisions you make, the way you treat other people. Paul is saying, let's get this relational. Let's allow this to change how we treat people. So Jesus, who even though he was equal with God, humbled himself and set aside his divinity in order to embrace his humanity. The Jesus of how, regardless of how powerful it was, Genesis, he is, Genesis says that he was there at the beginning. He flung stars into space. He was part of the creative community that put the world into order and in, in, into action. Regardless of the power that he had, he kind of stepped out of that and became a human man with human emotions and human feelings and experiences. He got hungry, he was tired, he wept, he was frustrated. The Jesus who voluntarily sacrificed his life, who laid it down in the most cruel and hideous form of death, probably known to man. Death on a cross was absolutely violent, painful, excruciating. It went on and on and on. It was slow. Jesus willingly went to the cross for us, for you, for me. From our sin. He chose to do that because he loves us. The Jesus who defeated death and rose again and is seated on the throne in heaven. And one day it says in scripture, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, it's hard to imagine that day, isn't it? But that's what scripture says. That's where we're heading to. And that's the Jesus that Paul is saying, get a fresh revelation of this Jesus. Because he needs to make a difference to everything in your life. This is not just about your salvation and your forgiveness. This is about transformation of you internally, becoming more like Jesus. Allowing your life to be held under the spotlight of who Jesus is. Paul is saying, see the backdrop of this beautiful, kind, humble, loving saviour as the backdrop of your life, your decisions, your relationships, your interactions. Join the two up. And in verse two, in verse 12, sorry, after Paul has sort of explained and described this beautiful picture of Jesus, he says, therefore, my dear friends, therefore, my dear friends, you know this, I've just reminded you of who this amazing is, person is, therefore, I googled it on the dictionary. What does therefore mean? I was like, what does therefore mean? And it means for that reason or consequently, 
consequently, because Jesus is so amazing, or for that reason, because he's so amazing, marvel at Jesus, worship him, put him first, allow him to be the person that's right in front of your life, front and center, surrender to him in everything you do, and allow the knowledge of Jesus, the marvel, the awe, to, in, to interact with your decisions and the way you do relationships. And Paul makes it really nitty-gritty. He's not saying, you know, just kind of enjoy Jesus and that's it. He's saying enjoy Jesus, marvel at him, be in awe with him, and let that make a difference to how you live your life in the nitty-gritty 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. And he says this in verse, verses 4 and 5. In humility... This is a therefore, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Oh my gosh, are you serious, Paul? That is a hard, hard bar, isn't it? Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. And having the mindset of Christ Jesus. Where the rubber hits the road is how we interact with other people. How we interact with other believers. What the church looks like. It matters. It matters to Paul. It matters to Jesus. It matters to the world. And then he gets really kind of nitty gritty. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go there, okay, this morning. Just letting you know. He gets nitty-gritty, and there's five things that he talks about that I'm going to talk about too. Number one, loving like Jesus. You're in awe of Jesus. Jesus incredibly affected your life. You've experienced the salvation and the freedom from sin. Well, love like Jesus. Okay, that's quite hard, isn't it? Now, Jesus was known for his love, wasn't he? He was known for being so loving and compassionate and kind to people, lifting people up who were low on the margins, who were kind of ignored by society and considered unclean or dirty or unspiritual. Jesus went straight to those people. He went to everybody else as well, but he wasn't put off by that. Jesus himself says, what's the most important thing he's asked? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and then love your neighbor as yourself. He links, Jesus links loving God with loving your neighbor. There's no getting around it. It's a priority for Jesus. Do you think that this church, if you're part of this church, if you're just visiting, you'll let off this, okay? But if you're part of this church, part of this congregation, do you think we are known for our love for each other? It's a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I'm hoping in tide you're all saying, oh yes, oh yes. Um, I one of the, when I first came to Woody's 15 years ago, I walked in and Dave Mitchell was on the stage doing his thing. And, um, and I thought, oh, this, I, this feels like a really loving vibe here. I didn't really, can't, couldn't really put my finger on it, if you know what I mean, but it just felt like a loving community and people were kind to me and as our family um, when we first came. And I think there is a bit of a DNA of, of loving one another here. We're not perfect by any means. And I'm sure there are people here who maybe don't feel 
might not feel that. But I think we want to make sure that we are cultivating a loving community where everybody feels the love of God, everybody is noticed, everybody is included. And that's what we're going for. What are you known for personally? Are you known for being a really loving person? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> or what are you known for? If there's someone's going to describe you, how would they, what would they say? Oh, that she is like, I don't know, don't, don't answer. <laughs> You're all looking a bit awkward and embarrassed, shifting comfortably in your seats. Um, you know, we're on a journey, aren't we? We're on a journey. But actually, we are told to love like Jesus. And sometimes that means we've got to deal with our stuff, get honest with who we are and the things that we are struggling with and working through in order that we can be free to love other people and love ourselves. Moving on, number two. We are told to love unity like Jesus, pursue unity like Jesus. It says in verse two, being one in spirit and mind. And I think we're told to go after unity. We're told to go after unity in the church and outside the church. We're not here to blow our own trumpet and to make our church the biggest church, the best church in Bristol. We are here to love the worldwide church. We're here to love the church in Bristol, which is made up of loads of different types of churches and loads of different types of denominations, loads of different ways that people worship and will do church. And we are here for them all. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to love unity and to go after unity. But that is actually costly and hard. And it's not often just normal and simple because we rub up against people in a different way who are different to us. And it can be a little bit jarring and a little bit prickly and a little bit like, oh, I don't like the way they do that. Or I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with the way they do that. Or, you know, even in our social interactions, it can be like that, can't it? You work with someone that's very different to you, has a different perspective. That can be tricky. That can be hard to do because we're wired in a different way. It can be hard to go beyond in your relationships, people that are going beyond people that are like you. We can relate more easily to the people who are like us and are like our stage in life and maybe you've had similar experiences to us. But we are called to live beyond that. We're called to get to know the people who aren't like us and who don't see the world like we see it and who maybe have had different experiences than we've had. And that will be... That will take intention and might be costly because it might mean not kind of hanging out with the people that we naturally hang out with and going to hang out with someone that isn't like us. And that's what Jesus calls us to. Not that we can't ever hang out with the people that we, that we kind of are friends with and, and naturally connect with, but he calls us to go beyond what is normal, what is easy, because he's calling us to be like Jesus. He didn't just stay with the people like him. He went way, way, way beyond that. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be like. When we first came to Bristol 15 years ago, um, Rob Scott Cook, who was the founder of our family of churches, uh, met up with my husband, Martin, and I. And uh, he was really kind. And he's, he's known for his unity um, of all Christians, whatever they look like in this city. And he said, I will do whatever I can for you. And you don't have to come to Woody's. You can go anywhere you like in the city as a church, but I would love to pray for you. And I would love to help you in any way that I can. And you know what? I actually believed him. <laughs> you know how some people say, oh, yeah, I'll do anything for you. Like, you don't mean that. <laughs> you're, just being, you're just trying to sound nice. Um, and Rob, actually, we did end up coming to Woody's. But we tried other churches first. And we found ourselves coming back. 
but I knew that Rob was pursuing unity and he didn't want us to just be here. He was like, go bless the city, wherever that is, and I will bless you as you do it and I'll help you. And that really modeled something to me in that moment that I thought, yes, I want to be more like Rob and not just be about my own tribe and the people who are like me and think the way I think. But I want to be a leader who loves unity, even the unity which looks very different to me. I want to kind of go after that. Number three, humility. Humility like Jesus. Jesus says, don't do, and Paul says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, Jesus was so humble, the epitome, the example, the role model of humility himself. He laid everything down. He set aside his divinity. He set aside his kingliness to be like a normal, regular man walking on the earth, walking in the dust. And we are told to do that. We're told to set aside any kind of grandeur or um, impressions of where important, self-importance. We're told to set it aside. In fact, selfish ambition it's, that is lacking consideration for others, chiefly concerned with your own profit or your own pleasure. Putting yourself first. Vain conceit is showing an excessively high opinion of one's appearance, your abilities, or worth. You know, considering yourself more highly than everybody else. Thinking, oh yeah, I'm a bit better than that. You know, I, you know, I don't deserve that. I can't do that. My husband was telling me a story that he was... Um, working on a camp with somebody, and they were all pitching in to clear up. These, these were the leaders clearing up some of the mess that the kids had made. And there was one particular person who was like, oh, no, I, no, I, don't, I don't do stuff like that. Because, I, because the person was a slightly higher rank. It, this is a military perspective. And because they were a higher rank, they weren't prepared to kind of get roll up the sleeves and, and get stuck in. And my husband took that person to one side and said, actually, here, we're all mucking in. We're serving these, this community, we're serving these kids. We all do that. This is what we do. We serve. And uh, this person didn't receive that very well, <laughs> I don't think. Um, and, uh, but it was the right thing to do, and it was the right thing to say. Nobody's higher than anybody else. We, we muck in. We serve each other. My, I was listening to my kids. They were watching um, a clip, a reel on social media, and it was a clip of The Apprentice. And one of the guys on The Apprentice, I don't, I don't know if it was a current or if it was um, his, historic, but I could hear this guy in the other room talking on this person's phone, on my kid's phone, and he was saying, yeah, what I want to do, I want to be the best at what I do. I want to be the best, the best, the better of the best. I want to make loads of money, and I want to make you loads of money, and I want to make you richer than you already are, and I want to make myself really rich in the process. And it was just so sort of like, it was like a sort of slight comedy, but it was real. This guy was actually believing what he was saying. I don't know if he was actually believing it, but he was saying it with real kind of intention. And I, I listened to it, and I was like, oh, it really made me feel queasy and horrible. And I thought, you know, this verse speaks about selfishness and vanity. And maybe selfishness and vanity are two hallmarks of our culture. I'm just putting it out there. Selfishness and vanity. And I'm not saying that necessarily it's only out there. It's in here, isn't it? It's in all of us. It's in all of us. It might not be as brazen and as loud and as brash as the guy on The Apprentice. But we are all selfish and we are all vain in different ways. 
And Paul's addressing that and saying, yeah, let's not go after these things. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be aware of our internal stuff and put them aside like Jesus and be like him. Number four, I've got to, oh gosh, I've got to go. Number four, disciples of Jesus. Be a disciple of Jesus. Verse 12 says, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we are responsible for our salvation. Jesus is responsible for that. Jesus is the only one who can save us. Jesus is the only one that can deal with our sin and our unforgiveness. Jesus is the only one who can take us from darkness and put us in light, into light. But we have a responsibility, if we are Jesus followers, to work it out, to put ourselves in community, because we cannot do the Christian faith on our own. We cannot do it. We're like the little coal that's taken out of the fire, left on the hearth, it goes cold. Whack it back in the fire, it gets hot. If you're here and you're trying to do Christianity on your own, I'm going to tell you, you can't. It's not because I'm like, have great prophetic insight, it's just not possible. Maybe for some people, the Stoics can. But most of us, we need community. We need to work out our faith with other people to help us. Number five, kindness like Jesus. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Who's grumbled or argued this week? Come on, be honest. I bet there's loads more of you, thank you. A few more hands went up. Um, I've definitely grumbled. And I might not have done it verbally, but I've done it in my head. <laughs> and um, actually, I don't think I've argued. I don't think I've argued. I might have done, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, we're told not to grumble or argue, guys. <laughs> That's not who we're meant to be as a Jesus community. We're told to be kind. What is it? What is grumbling? It's expressing a complaint in a bad-tempered way. Apparently, according to the dictionary, I was like, what is grumbling? I kind of know what it is, but how do I describe it? And um, it's about being bad-tempered. Grumbling, grumpy. You know, we're told to kind of go higher. Doesn't mean you can't complain or point things out that are wrong or give feedback. I said to somebody, a newcomer at the beginning of the service, I said, I'm preaching. If you don't like it, come find me at the end. How am I doing? (laughs) He said, give me a thumbs up. But... Bad-temperedness, irritability, being cross, being critical about everything. That could be better. They're not great. They shouldn't have done that. Again, it's in here, isn't it? But we're called to go higher. We're called to be kind. Because Paul has this vision of what the church should be like and how we as Christians should operate. And how we should love and how we should lay ourselves down and lift other people up. How we should be kind. How we should put other people's needs above our own. That is so hard because we're selfish. But that is what Paul is saying we should go for. Not in our own strength. You know, you can try doing all this in your own strength. Being kind of like self-motivated and self-help and gritting your teeth and trying to be really good. But you know what? That won't get you very far either. It's only transformation that comes from... Loving Jesus and welcoming the power of the Holy Spirit to come and minister in you and through you. It's not be good and God will love you. It's like let God love you. Enjoy Jesus. Welcome his Holy Spirit into your life and he will slowly, steadily bring transformation. Eugene Peterson wrote this book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. 
And that's, that's our journey, isn't it, guys, if you're a Christian here? We are on a long obedience in the same direction. And as we do that, we allow and invite Jesus to come. We, we, get, we get on our knees and get in awe of him. We enjoy him, his presence, his forgiveness, his love. He's not a tick box. This is not a religion we're doing. This is a relationship. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'd love to give you this little pack, Woody's Discovery Pack. It explains really who Jesus is. Um, it invites you to Alpha, the Alpha course that we run here, starting on October. We believe Jesus is worth following. And if you're here and you're a Jesus follower and you want to kind of keep that long obedience in the same direction, you want to get to grips with what Paul is saying, enjoy Jesus. Get to know him. That's your first starting point. Welcome the Holy Spirit and allow him to transform you. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to end with a bit of worship. But also I want to pray for us as the church, as a community in Bristol, as Jesus followers. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to kind of take something that I've said and to drop it into your heart and your soul today to bring transformation. You might want to put your hands out. That's just a way to express your openness. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you, Spirit of God, to come and do in our lives that which only you can do. Without you, we are lost. With you, anything is possible. Breakthrough comes. Healing comes. Power comes. We open up ourselves to you in this moment and say, Holy Spirit, come. Come and do in me, in us, in this church, what only you can do in us and through us. We welcome your presence in this moment. We welcome your peace. We welcome your healing. Move us on, God. Move us on. Help us to love Jesus more today than we did yesterday. And I pray for those that don't know you yet, Jesus, that you would draw them into a relationship with you. That they would come to know you today. They would find you in Jesus' name. Amen.